occasionally things got a little livelier. In Merthyr Tidville, the hotel management had to lock the doors against a welcoming committee of skinheads looking to put our heads on a pike simply because we had the audacity to come to their town. Our accommodations varied quite a bit from town to town. Sometimes we'd manage to get a booking in a former Grand Hotel where we'd be begrudgingly tolerated. An uncooperative night porter with dole-out rations of stale and curling sandwiches washed down with two or three miniature bottles of spirits retrieved under duress from a locked tabernacle. We would arrange our chairs around any piano that we could find and listen while Steve Naive gave a recital of his own keyboard inventions until the early hours or until the cupboard was bare, whichever came first. Barney Bubble, Snake Charmer, and Reclining Octopus is a large canvas. It hangs in the wall of our apartment in New York. What's going on here? <laughs> Sorry. You had to make your own fun after the town had closed down. Meanwhile, you might glimpse a perfectly well-lubricated party going on in an adjacent room. Probably just some rotten businessmen and local council officials selling the ground from under everyone's feet over whiskey and G&Ts in a tobacco-scented lounge. Or that's the way I chose to see it. The biggest wheels of industry retire sharp and short, and in the after-dinner overtures are nothing but an afterthought. <laughs> anyway, the next night, we might take another band's recommendation and stay in the kind of dubious lodgings where the police drank after hours with local ne'er-do-wells, and the bar didn't close until dawn. Broken noses hung high upon the wall, back-slapping drinkers cheer the heavyweight brawl. Watch your step. The violence in these songs was not limited to the public mayhem of clubland, and the empty promises of new lace sleeves or pretty birds. The worst of it was found behind a closed bedroom door in white knuckles. It was also one of the few times in these lyrics in which an alibi was dismissed and a punishment proposed. Maybe they weren't loved when they were young. Maybe they should be hung by their tongues. At the turn of the decade, I bought myself a Beckstein baby grand. The first song I wrote on it was shot with his own gun there were consequences for my actions of the previous three years now it was time to atone with the air of a torch song and lyrics that turned upon this refrain shot with his own gun now dad is keeping mum it was left to the listener to decide whether the wayward husband was looking to be reconciled or would keep his secrets and end up paying alimony. Or, as it says in the old Walter Donaldson Gus Kahn song, you better keep her. I think it's cheaper than making whoopee. 
by comparison. The new songs from Imperial Bedroom were full of sunshine and rainbows. Okay, that's not strictly true. I suppose I just wasn't very good at writing happy endings. So I sang about a teenage girl surrendering to an unworthy older man in You Little Fool and the horror of a parade of relations at the fate of a doom and wasted youth in the loved ones. The songs were very far from a diary, but my misadventures and failings were handed to the characters in the songs for them to live out. Imperial Bedroom was located in that narrow and claustrophobic distance between the titles of the first and second song on the record, Beyond Belief and Tears Before Bedtime, our brighter richly detailed music briefly tricked me into thinking we'd made an optimistic sounding record when the artist Barney Bubbles first revealed the painting he had completed for the album cover. It was obvious that he'd focused on the more carnal and conflicted aspects of the songs. Barney's painting adapted some background elements of Picasso's Three Musicians. He'd even worked inscription Pablo C into the composition. He painted a reclining woman with laced hands surrounded by zippers and serpents. Or were they slugs or seeds? Next to her is a pathetic little ringmaster figure wearing what I took to be a tricorn hat. I mean an echo of this small tyrant of desire in my own Tao before the cover of Blood and Chocolate. Barney Bubbles' snake charmer and reclining octopus is a large canvas. It hangs on the wall of our apartment in New York. I'm no longer startled by the contents of a composition. It is familiar to me, even comforting. Back then, visual cues could provoke as well as summarize songs. I came across a facsimile of an old music hall poster hanging among the imitation antique decorations of a Bradford pub. The inscription read, She's just a shabby doll. I knew that John Lennon had taken the title of being for the benefit of Mr. Kite directly from a carnival poster. So lifting this little phrase from a replica hung in a sham vintage Hostelry seemed about right for the story I had in mind. The playbill included an illustration of a slumped girl with rouged cheeks, dressed in rags. I imagined she was a Cinderella figure. She resembled a marionette with cut strings. It was hard to tell what kind of act she was. Perhaps a novelty song and dance performer? Maybe there is even another shabby doll song lost out there somewhere in a pile of yellow sheet music. Since writing Trust, I tried to rein in my impulse to play with words as an end to itself. Some people can do crosswords. Some people can effortlessly work out anagrams. For a while, I had a nervy facility with puns. But it started to put distance between the intentions of meaning and feeling. 
I allowed myself one more spin of the dictionary to describe my weariness at that dance, which passed for courtship. There's a girl in this dress. There's always a girl in distress. The song was otherwise merciless. He's the tired toy that everyone's enjoyed. He wants to be a fancy man, but he's nothing but a Nancy boy. He's all pride and no joy. It certainly wasn't a happy-go-lucky picture. The central voice of Imperial Bedroom was one filled with doubt and self-recrimination, and not entirely a work of fiction. 